How are we there, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Smashing Crossbar Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Josh, joined by Ben, as always. How are you, mate? I'm good. Let's see if we can go two weeks in a row where people can actually hear my intro. <laughs> Here's hoping. Be sure to let us know if you can't hear Ben or myself. Um, big shout-out to our major sponsor, Gabriel Mark, Tomatrist at Charlestown. Thank you to those guys. Be Jesmond. Jesmond. Jesmond, not oh. Charlestown. Wow. Wow, that's bad. Um, be sure to go down there and check them out for all your optical needs. Our special guest this week needs no introduction. He's done it all in Australian commentary. Um, Simon Hill is here with us for a little bit of time, obviously, to ask if, or get a few questions answered and so forth. So if you've got any questions, be sure to drop them in the chat. How are you, mate? I'm good, guys. How are you? Yeah, getting there, mate. Obviously Fantastic. getting there. Would have, would have rather been in Newcastle, obviously, to watch a watch a bit of football, but we're down here in Melbourne, so as good as can be. You've been there, though. Yeah, quite I've been few. to Newcastle quite a few times over the last <laughs> uh, last few weeks. I love going up uh, the F3, apart from the actual drive itself from <laughs> Sydney, but uh, no, it's, it's a great city. And I've got, I've got a few mates up there, actually, but I've got more mates in Newcastle than I have in Sydney. So, um, uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's a good place. I, I enjoy it. And I, I love the club. Uh, they've always been very welcoming to me. And uh, obviously, you know, Laurie, I've known for years. So, uh, yeah. yeah, terrific. Absolutely. So, yeah, as I said, we're going to talk, touch on a few little things, obviously, you know, a bit of VAR, a bit of football, a, bit, a little bit about your a little bit about your band side of things, love your sure. heavy metal, and we'll get yeah. into that, and um, a few other things as well. But I'm going to start with a question that I got from um, one of the viewers, which probably a pretty good one to start with, honestly. So you came out to Australia in roughly 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, was 2003, when, exactly was. 2003. There we go. The viewer's onto it. Um when the NSL was in its dying days, our national teams were stuck in Oceania with very little um, meaningful action and the game's government was being forced into reform uh, by the federal government. What on earth motivated you to come here at the time <laughs> and did, um, did you have any idea as to what the future was going to bring? Uh, it's a good question and one I've been asked many times. Um, um, the have- short answer is no, I had no idea what it was going to bring. Uh, the reason why I came out here uh, was because I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson here. So I worked for the BBC for 10 years um, and then I left the BBC in 2001 to join a brand new uh, television network called the ITV Sport Channel. Mm-hmm. And I was very excited about that. Um, and I signed on thinking, well, this is me for the next 10, 15 years. Uh, unfortunately, the channel had an absolutely terrible business plan and it went bust in 12 months. So that was the end of that. Um, so in mid-2002, I was basically cast out into the job market um, in the UK. And I actually, I did okay actually. For six months, I freelanced, worked for a lot of places, uh, British Eurosports, uh, Canal Plus in France, Rai International in Italy. That was a good gig. They used to fly us over there to do two Serie A games on a Sunday, which was brilliant. Uh, And various other places. Um, And I actually got offered a full-time job by Sky Sports in, I think it was about November 2002. Now, around the same time, I'd actually been to Australia for the first time in my life in mid-2002 to see an old mate of mine who I used to work with at the BBC, a guy called Rob Minchell, um, who, like me, is from Manchester, and he's still got his accent more than me. Um, A big city fan. We used to go to games together, et cetera, et cetera. And we'd stayed in touch. Anyway, cut a long story short, I came out to see him. 
And whilst I was over here, he said, you know, there's a job going here as a commentator for SBS because he worked at SBS at the time. And I said, oh, that's very nice, but I don't think they'd be interested in me. I mean, I, I live on the other side of the earth and, you know, they'd never heard of me. Why would they want me? Anyway, look, he went on about it for so long that in the end I said, look, when I get back to the UK, I'll send in a CV and a showreel, basically thinking that would shut him up. So that's what I did. And to my absolute amazement, a couple of weeks later, I got an email back from uh, Ken Ship, who was then the deputy yeah. head of sports at SBS, yeah. uh, saying, look, we're very interested. Would you be keen to come to Australia? So I was like, wow. So then I had, I had a big decision to make. Uh, do I sign with Sky Sports, which was and still is the you know prominent football broadcaster in the UK, or do I take a punt and go somewhere different? Now, it, it had always been my ambition to go and live overseas and, you know, sample a different culture or a different lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. So I thought if I was 35 then, wasn't married, didn't have any kids, still don't have any kids. Um, so I thought if I don't do it now, I'll probably never do it. Mm-hmm. So I decided to take the plunge. And to be honest, the football Really, I mean, I, I did my research before I came over here, so I knew a bit about it. Mm. But that was almost like at the time a secondary consideration because I was thinking I'm going for a new life experience. I thought it would last, you know, like, like all the other British expats, uh, two or three years. I'd enjoy a bit of sun, go on the beach, have some fun, and I'd be home within a couple of years. And what happened when I got here <laughs> was that all that stuff went out? I didn't spend hardly any time on the beach. Um, and instead, I, I was thrust into a game that was on the brink of um, a major revolution. So my career went uh, skywards, which was fantastic. And I, you know, I, I don't regret it for for one second. But that wasn't really the original plan. But as ever, <laughs> as ever in life, you know, you, you make plans and. Um, you have to sort of react to the circumstances. And I was quite happy to go with the flow because it was brilliant. Uh, absolutely. Obviously, um, now, now don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure in the past podcast that I was listening to, but this will keep Ben happy, um, you lived a little bit of time in Birmingham? On the uh, just, just outside Birmingham, yeah. Play, a city called Worcester, uh, which is about uh, well, 30, 40 minutes away from Birmingham, yeah. Oh, there you go, Ben. He was close. <laughs> Did you have, <laughs> It's more, it's, it's more the black country. It's like uh, they talk a bit there like that. And they all support Wolves and West Bromwich. No, <laughs> not me. Who's your team? Birmingham City. Birmingham City, right. Old man's, old man's blue nose through and through. Boards are green. Boards are green. Oh, dear. Birmingham <laughs> oh, City. Now he, sounds, now he sounds like my Uncle Tony. <laughs> not, not so happy. Well, I, when I got married the first time a long, long time ago, it was actually to a girl from the black country. So mm. I know that area of the, of the world uh, very well. And obviously been to Birmingham City many, many times. Not, not a place for the faint-hearted, particularly no, in the 80s. not at all. <laughs> Even when I went in 06, it wasn't a place for the faint-hearted. Yeah. And it's still not. <laughs> hey, it's still the um, second biggest derby in English football. I was going to say. It's Second biggest after the Manchester one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. We'll carry on. We'll carry on. Um, obviously, you've got 2003, you come over. 2005, we can't go past the 2005 game. Australia versus Uruguay. Yeah. Uh, gets us through to the World Cup. That call, honestly, what, what was that? What was it like for you? Obviously, um, I believe Craig Foster was there. Um, he, he was probably no Was Was Fozzie there? <laughs> 
I think he might have been. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I doubt he was much help. I heard him freaking crying and snowing. He was in the background there. Nah. Um, how, was it, it, how was it? it? It's it's a night that everybody else remembers a lot more fondly than I do, to be honest. And I've said this on many times in the past. Uh, not because I wasn't happy about the result. I was. But... Uh, professionally, that night was very, very difficult because mm. Fozzie was so heavily em- emotionally invested in the outcome, yeah. as everybody was. Mm. Um, he he made my life pretty tricky uh, as a commentator. And and I remember at the end of the night thinking, uh, I, I went home afterwards. I know everybody goes, oh, where did you go? You must have had a massive night that night. Are you kidding? I've been in Montevideo four days prior. So A, I was jet lagged. Um, B, B, I was... Um, drained because you know it, it takes a lot out of you doing a call like that, yeah. particularly with so much at stake. And see, I, I thought professionally it was crap, uh, and I still think that to be honest. But <laughs> the nice, the nice thing is, is that because of the results, and this is a, I've said this before, this is a good lesson, you know, for broadcasters who take ourselves a bit too uh, uh, seriously, yep. that people are emotionally invested in sport to such an extent that really you're just the adornment. So as it turns out, you know, because Australia won and there was this huge uh, weight lifted off people's shoulders after 32 years, people loved it. They loved the commentary with, you know, warts and all. So I'm I'm both grateful for that and also relieved um, because if you assess it in a pure professional sense, it wasn't very good. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, did, you, did you have the same trouble flying back from Montevideo as the rest of the Zorro <coughs> squad? Um, <clears throat> no, well, they they were fine um, because they had the chartered jet, yeah. of course. Uh, so they stopped off in the Cook Islands and did exercises and had a cup of coffee and all the rest of it. it probably we, we, were, we were in cattle. We were in cattle on the commercial flights. Uh, so <laughs> no, no such luxuries for me. No, no. <laughs> That's a bit <laughs> Well, we expected nothing less. We expected nothing less. It was a great call. Like, obviously, as you said, you know, Foz was he, he was so emotionally wrapped up into it. He was there was confirmation, I believe, at times that you could hear him. He's like, "Oh shit, is it? How, what penalty are they up to? How many? What's the score?" <laughs> there was yeah, it was, of- it was it was a tough one, and and um, you know, I I, I had a moment uh, almost at the crucial moment where I'd my mind went to blank when Schwartzy made the big second save, as you remember, and I called that mm. and Fozzie was just going off. And I, out of the corner of my eye, I saw John Aloisi walking very slowly, very purposefully towards the penalty spot. And I looked at him and I thought, if he scores, is that it? And I, and I couldn't do the mental arithmetic, you know, on the yeah. back of 120 yeah. minutes and a flight that was <laughs> eight time zones away four days prior. And I Cut grabbed a, a guy called Nick Christou, who was our assistant producer on the night, great, great lad, Nick, literally grabbed him by the collar. And as I said these words on air, literally looked into his eyes and asked for confirmation. <laughs> and I said to him, and that means if John Aloisi scores goal Australia will be there and he had this moment of blind panic, panic. because I brought this responsibility onto him uh, and he did the quick you know counting on the fingers and thumbs and gave me the thumbs up just as uh, as Johnny stepped up and I said here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup so thank goodness for Nick Christou he saved my bacon <laughs> Oh, We've got another quick one in here. Uh, when Tracy scored at the Asian Cup final, your commentary, emotion, excitement, do you list that as one of the second 
best commentary moments um, behind the 2005 World Cup? Well, to be honest, I, I put the 2006 World Cup in Germany ahead mm. of all of them, really. Mm. Uh, that, that was the tournament I enjoyed and was probably most satisfied with professionally because I managed to nail the goals, which is always the big one. Uh, you know, particularly the first one from Timmy Cahill, which you know I was well aware was the country's first ever at a World Cup finals. Yeah. Um, and oh, the that big was moment, the strike against the Netherlands, wasn't it? And then uh, you know the, the the game against Croatia, obviously with oh, all yeah. the palaver going on with with Graham Pohl issuing the three yellow cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, all the way through to the Italy uh, round of 16 game. So, yeah. overall, I, w- I was satisfied and, and happy in large part with my performance. And I also I enjoyed that tournament a lot. That's not to say I didn't enjoy the Asian Cup in 2015. I did. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, because that was on home soil, I was familiar with all the grounds. Um, it wasn't the same experience as traveling around Germany following a World Cup, as brilliant as it was. And the final was great. Um, and I was delighted in particular for Ange Postacoglu, who's you know, the best Australian coach that ever walked the earth. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd say that the World Cup in Germany was number one for me. There we go. All right, we're going to punch through a few of these. Obviously, VAR. We'll get your thoughts on the VAR. What, what, you, what do you think, mate? Get rid of it. Next, get next rid of question. it. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> No, that's exactly how I wanted it. Agreed. Just straight and short as the nut. Beautiful. Um, obviously, winter football over summer. Yep. Uh, agree with it. Uh, I think it's long overdue. I know the arguments against it. Um, oh, but we're up against the other codes. Well, let's be honest. We're not getting much of a shout anyway at the moment, are we, in summer? So um, I think it's time that we did. I think it's time that we did what's best for football. And football is a winter sport. Um, it, it's better to watch in winter. The players can run around uh, with greater aerobic capacity. I think it's more comfortable largely for the supporters. And people say, oh, well, they're going to have to choose between, you know, that. Well, the crowds aren't great at the moment anyway. So I, I think we've got to try something different. And I think winter football is is at least a good idea to try. If it doesn't work, hey, you know, we can always move back. Yeah. 100%, 100%. Uh, what have we got in here? How much of an impact will COVID be on Australian football as a whole? Um, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's been very, very difficult for for all the sports, really, but yeah. um, particularly for us because you know we're one of the smaller ones, and our TV deal has been, <clears throat> excuse me, reduced by almost half. So, you know, financially, we're, we're struggling. But out of adversity, um, you know, can come something brilliant. And in six months' time, I think we've got an opportunity not only to reshape our future, but you know, reshape the landscape in some ways. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, we we got the possibility of maybe moving to an OTT platform or or moving to a, a different broadcaster, maybe splitting the broadcast up. You know, the end of this exclusivity, which I think is probably in recent times started to harm the game a little bit, uh, and and sort of reimagine the future a bit. So, you know, COVID has probably made all that possible. Were it not for COVID, we'd still be locked into another two years uh, of the TV deal on the back of this one. And yeah. You know, the way things are at the moment, I don't necessarily think that would be healthy. So, a bit of both. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, obviously, sort of on the COVID scenario, second division's obviously been talked about a lot. Um, obviously, yeah. so many people have got different opinions on it. But, you know, it's going to take years to happen. People want it straight away. Um, 
what what are your thoughts on the second division and um, should it stay, should, should it be now, should we wait? And if we have to wait, what needs to be done to get it where it needs to be? Um, we need it. Uh, we need it as soon as possible. Now, whether that's... 2022, 2023, 2025, I don't know. Uh, that, that depends on <clears throat> the, you know, the financials and the people who are charged with uh, running it and, and getting it up and running. But we definitely need it. And we need it for many reasons, in my opinion. I think the A-League, as great as it is, uh, needs a little bit of competition at the bottom end. And I'm not saying we have promotion relegation just you know, right from the off, but I think ultimately we need that to create that competitive tension at the bottom of the A-League as well as up at the top. I think it will help our players immeasurably to be under that sort of pressure. Um, I think it will help us in terms of having more jobs uh, for yeah. professional footballers and for coaches and for administrators and, hey, who knows, even commentators. <laughs> um, so it, it's all about growing the football economy. And at the moment, our economy is very, very small. And it's not grown a whole lot in the last 15 years. Now, you look at the J-League, and I know Japan's a different country and it's got more people and it's you know dense, more densely packed than Australia is, so it's, there's a lot of differences, but they started off with a 10-team J-1 yeah. many years ago. Now they are up to 57 professional clubs across three divisions. Their women's team has won a World Cup. Their men's team regularly reaches the knockout phase of uh, the World Cup. They win Asian Cups and many more tournaments, Asian Champions League, blah, blah, blah. Yep. And that's because they had a vision and they had a plan. Everybody agreed on it and everybody stuck to it. We tend to do things in such an ad hoc manner. Uh, even the latest round of expansion, you know, yeah, which yeah. when it came around, oh, we need two new clubs. Well, let's start a bidding war. It's, instead of going, well, this is where we need to go. Yeah, yep. That's what we need to do. That's where we need to target. Instead, it's everything so, you know, haphazard. And even now, after that latest round of expansion, the A-League clubs are talking about, well, we want to get to 16 clubs. Great. Fantastic. How are you going to do it? Yeah. yeah. No, nobody knows. Nobody there is no plan in place um, to, to get to 16 clubs. Mm. So we, we've got to start being more strategic in our thinking rather than this endless short-termism and boom and bust, boom and bust, boom and yeah. bust, which, is, which has been the pattern for Australian football over the last 40, 50 years. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry if I'm going on. I'm a bit no, no, as you no. know. But uh, no, in my opinion, that's yeah. what needs to happen. But that's, you know, yeah. it comes down to good leadership. So, Well, 100%. That's the biggest thing we've, you know, Ben and I have spoken about many a times in regards to, as I've said, they've stated they want 16 teams. I'm like, well, you've just put two new teams in. You can't just go willy-nilly and just putting another two teams in or whatever. You've got to make sure these are going to survive. Um, which teams haven't in the past, your Gold Coast and mm. et cetera. Yeah, so you're looking, at a, you're looking at a minimum minimum two to three years at least um, to make sure that they're financially good, backing and yeah. stuff like that, uh, before you even think about adding another team in. The Central Coast it's even, have been it's in even since day one. It's even geographical location. Like Canberra are three-quarters of the way towards already having a full – Struck a full structure of being A League, W League, and 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 Y League. All they need is the A League, and that's that that that's it. Surely hmm. that would be a, a a 
a, a cleaner idea to put an A-League team there. They've already got the foundations for it there with relatively, you know, less investment. I think maybe the wrong word, but with, with well, a John, bit more investment. Uh, like, uh, they're, they're three quarters of the way there. The, the thing is, I mean, Canberra's a good example. You're right. They're two-thirds of the way there. Um, if they're going to be brought in, and at some point, you know, clearly it looks as though they're going to be, um, why not announce that now and say yeah. they, they are coming in along with maybe one other because you still need an even number of teams. Yeah, we are yeah. going to expand to 14 teams in five years. It, it can be five years away if necessary, yeah. but, you know, preferably two or three years. And then everybody knows they're coming in and everybody yeah. can focus towards that in Canberra. You can get your stadium ready. You can sell your memberships. You can yeah. start uh, putting your footprint down in that part of the world because people know it's going to happen. Instead, yeah. what we did with our expansion, you know, particularly Western United, right, MacArthur got a year, yeah. and I think they're better off for that. Western United were brought in uh, in the space of six months. And in my opinion, and I think they'll be fine, by the way, long-term Western oh, yeah, United. Yeah. I think they've got two key differentials. One, they've got a geographical identity, and secondly, they're going to build this stadium, which will be great. Oh, yeah. But in, when they first came in, they weren't ready. The fans weren't there, and they went and played at that ludicrous. They're still yeah. playing there yeah. at that, you it's know, AFL Oval, thirty-eight thousand seats, which is a great stadium. Mm. It's nowhere fit for purpose for Western United or for the A League. So, you know, they they should have been made to wait, or you know, they should have been planned for earlier. And instead, again, we had this ludicrous bidding war. And essentially, as the, as I understand it, it came down to, well, who's going to pay the most money? That's well, it. that's not a way to build a league. Exactly. Um, you've got to do it more strategically than that. Otherwise, you get Gold Coast United. You get North Queensland Fury. Yeah. Um, and we can't afford to do that. So, you know, I'd like to see now that the early clubs have got control, them come out at some point over the next 12 months and say, we will expand to 14 clubs in, say, 2024. And the yep. two clubs will be in Canberra and, you know, wherever else, Brisbane, yep. Adelaide, I don't know, but wherever else they're going to be. And then they can yep. plan for it. Correct. Which yep. means, obviously, they can get their foundation. As I said, where, we, where I was saying before, obviously, you know, you've got to give them at least two or three years. Yep. They, they've done it. So when yep. they come in, they should have everything done. As you said, the stadium and memberships and people and everything's Correct. done and ready to go. Yep. So... Yeah, it's one of those things. My biggest thing, my argument is every time when we talk about stuff like this is the Central Coast have been in since day one. How haven't they got a W League side? It, it annoys the shit out of me. They had one for one season. Yeah, well, they did. They started off with one, but it got keened or whatever. They couldn't afford it or whatever it is. But it's yeah. got to be a custom. It's got to be I'll, part of the freaking. I thought I'll that tell was you part of the licensing agreement. I'll tell you one of the reasons. It's because... The stadium on the Central Coast doesn't have dual changing facilities. That's That's been ah. one of the sticking points. Uh, mm -hmm. There's only two changing rooms where I think there really should be four. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of the problems. But I agree with you. They, sh they should have a W League team. Um, I think they wanted a W League team this season. I think they yeah, applied they uh, to come in. But for whatever reason they were refused. And again, yeah. don't ask me why nah. it's, it's baffling some of these decisions. Oh, yeah. um, but I agree that, that, that they should be in, but of course, equally bizarrely, we have Cambria United that does have a W league team, but yeah. have an a -league. A -league side. <laughs> um, so 
and, and we got Wellington trying to push to get in and playing out of Wollongong, and yeah, it's yeah. it's all a bit of a mess, but uh, it, it needs to be resolved. Merge, merge, merge with the coast. Wellington and Central Coast, put the money in together and go, right, it's a, the Wellington W League team or something like that. Mix it up, save your money. Because there's no point of flying W League girls flying over to Wellington every week. So, you know, let's yeah, rejoin my company. Anyway, anyway, we'll move on. In, in um, saying that, in, in going back to our, our expansion teams, the final, the final word I'm going to have a say on that is one should definitely be Canberra. The other one should either be one that's based in either Fremantle or another one that's based in Adelaide. Okay. My personal opinions. There you go. I, personally, I would I would go to Queensland. Um, I, yeah. I think uh, second team in Brisbane yeah. or maybe Ipswich. Uh, I think Brisbane Raw needs a bit of a kick up the bum. I think they need a local rival. It did well. Uh, it really sorted Sydney FC out, let me tell you, when the Wanderers oh, yeah. came in because oh, they yeah. were – they were on the precipice before that, um, but that gave them the kick up the backside they needed. Um, yep. We've seen how those, you know, intra-city rivalries uh, really give you a sense of something different with the Melbourne Derby and uh, the Sydney Derby. So I, I would be going to Brisbane, but you know, having said that, obviously there's got to be the money and the infrastructure there and and the desire to have it. So who knows? Move Brisbane down to Gold, Gold Coast Stadium a few times. There you go. Yeah, well, we, we, we've <laughs> tried Gold Coast, haven't we? Um, <laughs> yeah. no, it still has to be Brisbane. Yeah. It still has to be Brisbane, but, but moving down a bit. Gold Coast, maybe Gold Coast could work under it. Obviously, you know, Clive Palmer was pretty divisive. Maybe under yeah. different leadership it could work. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do we got here? Obviously, we're talking about the broadcasting side of things. Obviously, your thoughts on the broadcasting, where it should end up. Obviously, we know you've if you ain't finished up with Fox Sports, etc. Um, should, should they have have it next season? Should we be looking at it somewhere else? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, look, I'm not saying that uh, Fox shouldn't have a piece of it, hmm. but um, I, I don't think they should have it exclusively, no. Um, and certainly on the strength of, of what's happened over the last three or four years, it seems pretty clear uh, to me and I think most people that they've lost a lot of love for it. Now, in fairness... You know, they've had good reason to because our leadership has been abysmal um, yeah. and they've had every right to be irritated, annoyed because they haven't had a return on their investment. But, yeah. you know, their investment is now halved, um, which probably brings it back to sort of realistic levels. But, you know, I don't see that they are going to drive this league or this game to where it needs to go. I think it will only ever uh, grow to where they're happy with it growing to. You know, their investment... And and you know this is this is their prerogative. Their investment largely is in Aussie rules, rugby league, cricket. That's where they've put their money, their, their eggs into those baskets. That's their their rights. But I think you know we we need a better future than they can offer at the moment. So I, I'd like to see an OTT platform. I'm not saying, <clears throat> excuse me, that all games necessarily should be on there. Be good to have a free-to-air partner that cares about it. I'm not saying ABC don't at the moment, but, you know, really gave it some traction. Um, and, and maybe some other players might come into the market, you know, ones that we're not expecting at the moment. So I, that's why I think it's in many ways an exciting time. It's a worrying time as well because where's the money going to come from yeah. Yeah. at the end of the Fox deal? Um, but maybe the ideal solution is a mixture. But, um, you know, certainly we, we can't just keep going uh, down the same road with, uh, you know, all games exclusive on Fox bar one because it's not growing the game um, and they're not helping growing the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, totally off topic, but I agree with that, Matt Taylor. Um, Mark Bosnich's hair. 
the past two, the past two weeks. Two weeks, the past fabulous. Two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love listening to him and him and friggin' um, Adam Peacock. They just oh. <laughs> see again, Aussie, again, not a fan. Aussie just right. Played, uh, again, nah. not a fan. He played for Villa. No, no, no. Just the fact that obviously he was bitching and whinging yesterday about the friggin' um, the the handball incident and shit like that, yeah. or whatever it is, and you know, and then Peacock was trying to think of the fans and everything else, and it just got into an absolute shit show, absolute pisser. But anyway, um, now I got this question, or I got what what we're going to talk about quickly, um, off your podcast that you do, which I will throw the links in at the end of the show to go and have a look at because it's very, very interesting stuff. Um, no question about it. Obviously, um, was it Shim, Shim Spider and so much more, I believe That's it is. It. That's it. Um, so, yeah, be sure, guys, to go and check it out. I'll, as I said, I'll leave the link and so forth down below uh, because it's brilliant. Yeah, Thank three you. experts talking about frigging football that needs to be talked about. None of this shit that we don't hear on TV and stuff like that. This stuff needs to be talked about. And one of the things was the whole international transfer budgets and obviously – you know, the loan, the transfer deals and stuff like that. So I'm going to paint a sort of a picture which you went over. The transfer budget is around $1.9 million compared to some of the bigger nations and so forth, like Netherlands. I think theirs that's, was like that's up around. The net, that's the net income net, for Australian clubs. Yeah. yeah, net income. Yeah. So, and then obviously you got the likes of, as you said, Netherlands in the podcast, you know, 500 million or something. We get closer to home. Obviously you're looking at around the 30-odd, 30, 40-odd mark in Japan and stuff like that. And then obviously you, div- you were talking about dividing that a little bit. So A-League clubs are roughly pl- um, roughly paying the NPL clubs on an average 402000 in 2019. That was off the stats Total. that we got, yep. Yep. Which, which obviously goes into $1,200 or something per club right. yep. over five years. That's disgusting. I know, I know I've heard of you, know, you were talking about it, but can you explain to these guys, you know, what are your thoughts on that? It's bullshit. Well, I mean, it's it smacks again of of um, a football culture that has has not matured quickly enough. Mm. Um, we should have. We understand, you know, why there wasn't an internal transfer system when the A League started, because they wanted to get the clubs financially viable. <laughs> that worked, didn't it? <laughs> still so, trying. Yeah, they're still trying. Um, so, you know, belatedly, they've come to the realization that part of uh, how you make the game financially viable here is actually by transfer fees. Um, Surprise, surprise. You know, it only works in the rest of the world for the last 100 years. Um, So, you know, clubs here need to not only work the transfer market internationally a lot better, and, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, players leave the A-League and they go overseas and we're happy to see them go because, you know, that's career progression. We understand yeah. it. But our clubs get nothing. They don't get transfer fees. Now, you look at Daniel Arzani. I know this is a slightly different sort of scenario because he was playing for Melbourne City. So mm. technically moved within the group to the City Football Group to Manchester yeah. City, mm. who loaned him out to Celtic, who've now loaned him out to Utrecht. And yeah. if you believe the last 24 hours, he's about to be... Uh, loaned out somewhere else again, or, or maybe wow. come back to Australia. But the, the fact is, is that he, you know, he signed for Manchester City, and the A League here, the Australian football ecosystem, didn't see a dollar. Now that's for arguably the most talented player that we've produced in the last 
you know, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that has to change. Uh, Adam Taggart was another one. He was top scorer for Brisbane Raw a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. He signed for Suwon. Now, to be fair, Brisbane did get some sort of a transfer fee. Yeah. I think it was around the million-dollar mark, maybe something like that. If you yeah. translate that into British pounds, and I do that because I'm British, mm-hmm. half a million quid for us, for a full Socceroo who was the top scorer for the club in the senior competition in Australia, that's nothing. Yeah, it's peanuts. Now the same player, if he was playing for say Brentford or um, Bolton Wanderers, somebody you know, a lower league team in England, mm-hmm. if the Premier League came sniffing around and said, "Oh, we like him, we're going to buy him," that transfer fee would automatically be two, three, four, maybe even five million pounds. Yep. That's the sort of money that we should be getting. So we've got to be a lot smarter playing the international transfer system. When we do that, that will hopefully have a trickle-down effect. And Mm. you're right, the money that's being given to the MPL clubs at the other end of the the evolutionary scale for developing players Mm. is nothing. What's the incentive for an MPL club to spend years training, developing, giving experience to a talented young kid when an A-League club can come along and go, oh, he's good, we'll have him, here's $1,000. What's the point of that for them? There's no return in it. So the whole ecosystem is suffering for the lack of this transfer system. The good news is, Belatedly, we've realized that I'm not sure we needed a white paper to go through it. But anyway, um, you know, now we're having a consultation process. Just bring it in. We all know what it looks like. Just bring it in and let's get on with it. Yeah. I think obviously in the chat in here, obviously, you know, with a lot of these guys in here, obviously, Newcastle Jets fans, this is what we were trying to say, obviously, ages ago when Dimmy left. I mean, Laurie came out and he clearly stated, you know, because everyone was like, oh, well, you know, we've let him go. We've let him go. Laurie. He come out clear as day. He goes, I've got a transfer for him. See ya. Like, you know, yeah. if you're going to get money and a good dollars, yep. especially in the situation where we're in at the moment, you, you take that crap. You don't even think about it. You don't well, go, oh, he's a good player. We should hold on to him, mate. To be brutally honest as well, to be fair, we made two transfer, two transfer. Um, yeah. We've got two transfer fees for Dibby. Because Correct. when we were meant to get him from Brisbane originally and they ended up selling him to the K-League, we got yeah. part of that transfer fee too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he hadn't even kicked the ball for us. Yeah. And that's it. You know, like, and so then you've it, gotten a boot to Uroa as well. Yeah. That, At was, the end of the day, that was you wait to the end of the season and you can have him for X amount, but if you want him now, the price goes up. Because that was the grand final winning, you know, that was the grand final losing mm-hmm. year. <laughs> Anyway, that's, that's a different story, that one. He went back to Melbourne and freaking went on the scrap heap and got saved by City. So, uh, anyway. But, yeah, look, as I said, it's one of these things which is, it's, again, it's just disgusting. When I sort of was listening to it and those figures sort of come out of your mouth and that, I was just like, wow. Okay. Really? Prime example, Matty Miller. Yeah, what about him? When Shrewsbury didn't take up the offer of 50000 That's it. 50000 yeah. That's peanuts for a player like Matty Miller. Here's the key, Josh. So initially they took him on loan, didn't they? Yeah. Yes. So he, he went over there. He played a few games for them. Yep. They had a good long look at him. And okay, in the end, they've decided hmm. not not to purchase, you know. Yep. It's like going to the shop, isn't it? And you have a prod around of the chickens and, and say, oh, yeah, that one, no, I'm not going to buy that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But, you know, the fact is, is that that does not benefit the Newcastle Jets. Yeah, no. Because they've had to do without their player. Yeah. Shrewsbury have had a nice long look and gone, yeah, thanks very much, we're not buying. Yeah. And what now he, he, he comes back. Yeah. What, what, and in six months' time, somebody else wants to have a look at him and just go, yeah, okay, off you go. And at the same no, point as well, we've got, got him back. We've got him back and can't play him because he's got COVID and he's going to sit in hotel right. quarantine for two weeks. That's right. So we, we've got to be a lot more hard nosed about this. Now, the only, yeah. Yeah. the only A-League club I remember in living memory that, that actually did this, and I remember them copping a lot of heat for it. Mark Milligan, when he was at Melbourne Victory, Crystal Palace wanted to sign yeah. him. And Melbourne Victory said, no. He's under contract. You want to sign him? You pay us two million dollars, and everybody went. You can't do that. You know, it's a great opportunity for it. And every other club in the world does it. So we've. I I admired Melbourne Victory. I know it was really tough on on Millsy, and I felt sorry for him. But every other club in the world has this hard nosed approach to transfer. If you want this player badly enough, hey, you can have him, but you pay for him. I don't know. I, I tell you, I tell you what. If I'm another A League club, I know it's not, not going to happen, obviously, because you know the game, Australian football. But it come out obviously in the media that obviously the transfer fee was fifty thousand dollars or whatever. Surely, if I'm a club owner, going, I've got fifty grand. I'll give it to you. I'll take him. Yeah. <laughs> like shit. No yeah. problem. Is that it? Oh, well, no worries. I'm not sure they do have fifty grand. That's the problem. <laughs> also, some of them, mate. Some of them, but. And in saying that, how do you think a team like South Melbourne's going to feel who had Manny Miller ripped out from underneath them by the by the Mariners originally yep. and hmm. then we've gotten him and then they found out that we get 50, 50 grand for him should he go to Shrewsbury if he did? How much, what do they? What, yeah, what does South Melbourne get? Yeah. Well, again, this this uh, look. I don't know the details of of Matt Miller's transfer from South Melbourne to Central Coast Mariners. Mm, it yeah. could be. It's entirely possible. We should give them the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah. That they said, okay, you can have him, but there is a sell-on clause. Mm. And you know, clubs have got to get smarter doing this as well. Right. I tell you, the the best club that used to do that was the Central Coast Mariners. Yeah, they yeah. earned millions out of Matt Ryan, not his initial move. But when he moved on to Valencia and then on to Brighton, they had sell-on clauses all the way down the line. Same with Trent Sainsbury, same with Miller Yedinak, same with uh, Tommy Rogic, I think, although he's he's not moved from Celtic since. But, you know, that's the way to structure the deals as well. Even if you're not getting a big fee up front, if the player is successful, you've got to make sure you benefit from that. And that's got to feed the ecosystem right down the line. Birmingham Birmingham City did it with Jack Butland, Damari Gray. Yep. Yeah, but they're smart. Jude, Jude, Jude Bellingham. <laughs> the English clubs and world, well, the world clubs are smart. You know, as I said, we talk about NPL structure and stuff like that. Again, something these guys said on the on the podcast. Yeah, you look at the Netherlands. They got the what, they got the if not the best youth development in the world. Mm. And well, look, they're so smart about it. You know, look at look at the the one club that is very smart about it because, of course. They're owned by the City Football Group. It's Melbourne City. Now, two two big examples for you. One local, one international. Aaron Moy. Aaron Moy. Aaron Moy signs from Western Sydney Wanderers for nothing. They got him for nothing. Now, to be fair, Wanderers didn't want him at the time. So good on Melbourne City for giving him an opportunity. Mm. He played for two years in the A-League. As we all know, he tore it up over here. They sent him out uh, to Manchester City, in inverted commas, and loaned him out to Huddersfield Town. He plays a full season in the championship, impresses. Huddersfield wants him. Bingo. 10 million quid. $20 million profit on one player. 
Now, the, the international version of this, and this one, even as a Man City fan, doesn't make me very comfortable, to be honest. Mm. Now, you'll, you'll have heard of a goalkeeper called Angus Gunn. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So Angus Gunn, the son of Brian Gunn, former Norwich City goalkeeper, came through the Norwich City youth system. They trained him. They developed him. He didn't play a first-team game for them. But when he got to 15-16, Manchester City spotted his potential and said, we'll have him. So they went in and grabbed him. Norwich said, hey, you can't do that. That's our player. They went to an industrial tribunal or a, or a transfer tribunal, mm. and the tribunal ordered City to pay £250,000, which is like 10 bucks to you and me, yeah. right, yeah. to the City Football Group. So Angus Gunn goes to Manchester City. He spends two years there. He doesn't play a first-team game. All right, they develop him for two years. Then he goes back on loan to Norwich City, plays a full year in the championship, is an absolute star. All of a sudden, he's worth... 15 million quid and Southampton pay Manchester City 15 million quid. That's their return on a player they didn't develop. They never yeah. played in the first team. And the only first team experience they had he had when he was there was to loan him back to his former club who developed him in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Now that's playing the transfer system yeah. brilliantly. Is yeah. it right? Mm, mm. Not necessarily. But it's smart, and that's Absolutely. what the big clubs do. Uh, 100%. That's, that's everywhere in the that's everywhere in the UK's system. Have you have you heard today that Chelsea's longest serving player has just left the club? Yes. Do you know what his name yes. is? Oh, I can't remember his name. I did read that. He's been everywhere. So many. His name years. is Lucas Pierzon. Yeah. Possibly. And he's he's been at Chelsea for ten years and Chelsea, played three games. Fulham. Before. He's been he's been yeah. around. Oh, the money and then on loan. Yeah. And probably yeah. cost City next to nothing because obviously they would have been getting money off the clubs he'd gone to and yep. everything yeah. else. So that would have been making or having to pay next to nothing. Um, yep. Guys in the chat, we'll talk about the Jets in a bit. We're not going to bother Simon Hill with that shit. Um, yeah. it's, it's hard enough as a Jets fan to deal with that shit, let alone someone who's been there to work the and obviously to watch it. Um, oh, mate, yeah. I've, been, I've had the faith since day one. It's just, it's hard. It's frustrating. Yeah, it's hard. But, um, it's frustrating. But anyway, we've got a couple quick more and then we're going to let you go, mate. Obviously, yeah. the other one we want to talk to you about is obviously the Women's World Cup. 2023, massive achievement, obviously, from Australia. We talk, we've, we've punished them. We've punished Australian football a fair bit. But let's talk a little bit of positive. We've got the World Cup, um, obviously, sharing it with New Zealand. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you feel it's going to help possibly the A-League slash W-League, even, let's say, the youth um, well, look, I mean, it's great that we've got a major tournament here. Um, yeah. You know, it's three years build up. Uh, there's going to be a lot of interest around the Matildas, obviously, which will uh, uh, help, hopefully, you know, the game here. Um, my my fear is too far. I'm sorry to, I'm not trying to sound negative, but, you know, it's our, our job as journalists is, is to ask questions and to yeah. hold people to account. So, you know, in 2015, we had the Asian Cup here. And everybody yeah. said, oh, this is going to be brilliant for football in Australia. And what happened? We went and won it. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. it couldn't have been any better for us as a nation, football-wise, that tournament. Mm. What was the legacy of that tournament? Zero. Mm. People forgot about it in five minutes. Yeah. A-league crowds and ratings dropped off a cliff. Yeah. What was, what was the legacy in terms of facilities mm. for football? And I'll, t- I'll tell you one of the legacies, and this is not too far from your neck of the woods. During the Asian Cup, a ground in Cessnock 
yeah. was redeveloped yeah. because Japan went to train there. So it yeah. was redeveloped using money for football. Guess who plays there now? Their local side. Rugby league team. Oh. So, oh. you know, what, what, was the, what is the legacy the for football? Yeah. And, and my fear is in 2023, we've got all this hype around the tournament, which is great. Not, not decrying it for a moment. I think it'll be brilliant. And I think for the duration of the tournament, the whole country will be behind the Matildas. Yeah. My question is, what's going to be the long-term legacy of that tournament for, A, facilities? Because I don't see any stadiums being built for football on the back of this yeah. uh, World Cup, for a, at least not yet. And secondly, and we saw this at the weekend, I was in Newcastle for the, the A-League game, which preceded the W-League game. It was the same in Sydney on Saturday yeah, night. We were talking and about this. As soon as the A-League game finished, oh God. 80, 80% of the crowds walked out. Yep. So what, what's the plan to grow attendance figures and get people watching the W League, both in the stadiums yep. and on television? Because in Europe, the biggest games in the FA Women's Super League in Spain, in France, yeah. Germany, etc., they're getting 30, 40, 50,000 people watching. We're lucky if we're getting three or 400 to some of our W League games here. So yep. what's the plan? I, I'm, I'm all for, you know, yeah. the positivity great. surrounding the World Cup. It's great. Yep. But if I hear this is going to be great for women and for women's sport one more time, I think I'll scream. What about what's great for football? Yeah. It's a football tournament. Correct. And the legacy for this tournament should be for football, not for women, not for men, not for sports in general, not for rugby league, not for Aussie rules, not for cricket, for football. Yeah, what's it giving us? That's yeah. that's my question, and and a very good one, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, I agree yeah. with the fact that I agree with the fact that no stadiums are going to get built or even uh, like maintained well, to, a, to a, a higher standard. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say we don't overly need. Like, it'd be great to have new stadiums. We've got plenty of facilities to accommodate. No, no, no. That's that's with respect. That's not the point. We've got facilities that are owned by other codes and yeah, councils yeah, that have other codes as their main yeah. focus. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what we need in this country is proper football stadiums and proper football training facilities. By the way, a lot of clubs yes. still don't have their own training facility just as a starter. Um, but we need proper football stadiums that are, if not purpose built for football, mm. then suitable for football and at the moment you know we still play too many games in a on afl ovals uh with cricket pitches in the middle or in stadiums that are okay theoretically rectangles but i mean we, we had the sydney derby on saturday at anz stadium which is holds eighty thousand, and there was fifteen thousand people there how are we supposed to generate any atmosphere in that and i know covid's slightly different but we played games there before covid I mean, prime example, yeah. look at Brisbane Roar at Suncorp for years. Yeah. Same sort much of deal. That's why they're much better yeah. at Dolphin Stadium. And you can see that just watching the telecast. Absolutely. Yeah, well, Lockie's just put in one there. Obviously, um, one, of, one of the guys from our major sponsor, Gabriel Marptometry, he was at the 2014 World Cup, and he's just stated that they built a stadium in Caratiba. I'm sorry if I butchered it. Brazil, that was purposely mm. built for the 2014 World Cup, and nothing has been played there since. Yep, that's true. You know, so that, I mean, was a, that was a 56, 60,000-seater stadium, and they didn't have a National League team there. 
Yeah. Uh, the, the, the same with the one in Brasilia. They only had, a, I think, a third or fourth division team there. I'm not talking about going to, uh, you know, Wagga Wagga and sticking a 50,000-seater stadium there. Yeah. I'm yeah. talking about having 20, 30,000-seater compact boutique venues yeah. Yeah. in the areas of the country where we have A-league teams, which is where the games are going to be played. Yeah. Now, you know, Western Sydney Wanderers have a, a great facility at Bankwest, Bank even though they, yeah. they share it with the Eels. But, you know, Sydney FC are crying out for a boutique stadium. I think the Newcastle Jets, I know everybody loves McDonald yeah. Jones, but I think it's too big for the Jets. Absolutely. Yeah, no, agreed. Well, 30-odd thousand. You know, that's a lot of places where you you could redevelop a a boutique stadium, 15, 20,000, which would be perfect size for the Jets. So, yeah, I I understand that argument, but I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. agree. Think about it. Totally agree. Thinking about it like that, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, as I said, in my head, because – I, I suppose in my head, I just figure it's, it's never going to happen. <laughs> we just see, we, we, we spent we spent forty fifty years saying can't. Yeah, we're we're so used to being, you know, downtrodden and saying, oh no, no, we can't do that. It'll never happen. We can't have a second division. We can't have promotion and relegation. We can't have a transfer system. We can never build new stadiums. We, we just got to accept our lot. You know, we're we're fourth tier. Well, why should we? Yeah, there's, Why there's, nothing, there's nothing stopping us. This is the biggest game in the world, the biggest participation sport in the country, and it's only four years since we had 62,000 people at the Sydney Derby. Yeah. yeah. Why shouldn't we dream big? Why That's shouldn't cool. we demand those facilities and that government money and that corporate yeah. support? We deserve it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. No, I to- totally agree. Um, obviously, you know, it's one of those things, obviously the FFA co- – FFA Cup, um, obviously, you know, it is a good tournament as well. And obviously, again, we look get to see the likes of obviously your local MPL sides and stuff like that, mm. sort of going back on the um, old, you know, MPL sort of things and what we need to do to develop youth. What's your thoughts on the FFA Cup? Um, is there anything? Is there anything they can do to ramp it up, or are you happy with the way it is? <laughs> No, I, th- I think, yeah, you'll see some tweaks to the tournament, um, not least, of course, because it's outside the broadcast deal with Fox. Yeah. So you won't see it on Fox. So that gives them a chance maybe to put it on an OTT platform or to go somewhere else to test the water, uh, which I think is great. Um, I think we may – I think they were contemplating having a group stage, but whether that's been thrown out the window, yeah. I think there's a bit of a rebellion against that. But I actually understood the rationale behind it. Yeah. And that was that was to give MPL clubs, you know, three – of or four games in the cup instead of just potentially the one. Um, But anyway, I think we'll see an open draw. Um, Obviously, we're going to see Asian Champions League qualification or a half spot at least for the winners, which I think Mm. is great. Puts us into line with, you know, the rest of Asia. Um, So I think think there are tweaks to the tournament that can be done. Um, You know, personally, I'd I'd be in favour of expanding, if we're not going to go group stage, to a round of 64. Um, Go go one step further and, you know, let's televise that round. I I think part of the magic of the Cup is that you have uh, these stories from clubs that we we rarely hear about, and yet they're all part of the rich fabric fabric of football in Australia. They barely get any publicity, and they should do. Um, They deserve their 15 minutes in the sun because they've worked bloody hard for this game. There is is absolutely nothing. There's absolutely nothing better and sweeter than going to Green Gully Stadium on a Tuesday night (laughs) and in full Jets kits Uh, to watch the coast get done by a Liam Boland screamer from halfway. That was you, wasn't it? That was us. (laughs) That was us. That was us. That was us. And then then watching Tony Walmsley getting sacked the next day. That was sweet too, yeah. (laughs) 
In with the Green Gully fans. That was a screamer too. It was a great goal. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, look, as I said, I think the other broadcasting for me, obviously, a little we, bit further. We need more when they get, like that. Yeah, when we get to the 16 and stuff like that, most of it's obviously broadcasted. But a little bit further back, you know what I mean? As you said, if you go to 32, 64, whatever, that stuff I think needs to be broadcasted. Not your basic thing I used to get through to the group, get through to that. But from then on, everything needs to be broadcasted. You know, yeah. whether it's a two dinky friggin' sides or whatever, it needs to happen. Like, shit, as he's as talking about Dream Big and stuff like that, Wollongong, they beat Wellington. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't <laughs> imagine who played in that. I'm not going to sit there and like, I have no idea what the line No, Luke, 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 Luke gave me a rundown on the lineup. They fielded three quarters oh, really? of their first team. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. Well, that just goes to show that the gap, Real you know, shit. isn't perhaps that big at the moment. Um, and, and that's healthy. For football in Australia, if we can have that, uh, you know, that competition, it shows that a national second division um, perhaps should be here already. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've only got a couple of small, small little ones that we can quickly whiz, whiz through. The only last major one I've got is in regards to coaches. Your thoughts on the coaching scenario in Australian football? Obviously, you, again, something again I heard on the podcast is we're talking about coaches in the A League to obviously down down to the MPL clubs getting paid next to nothing um what are your thoughts there i've always been a believer of we should be looking at getting some of our best coaches that maybe pass it you know you, we had branco kalina on who sort of said he loves getting down to the npl clubs now and obviously you know looking for gems and diamonds in the rough and stuff like that what are your thoughts on the coaching scenario uh, with, in regards to yeah Sorry, what's the, what's the question? Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so in regard, so what are your thoughts on obviously more more experienced coaches? Do we need more experienced coaches? Obviously, who may have already coached at a decent level back in the lower at A league level. You're talking about, or yeah, A league level, A league level, do yeah. Um, but, well, I don't know about more experienced. I think um, yeah, we. I'd like to see more MPL coaches given a chance, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, there's coaches in the, the state leagues, you know, a couple of examples. Brian Brown won a, a lot of trophies with Bonnie Rigg uh, in New South Wales. Damien Morrie won, I think, six consecutive South Australian titles. Um, there are other coaches. I know John Anastasiadis nice. did a good job with Bentley Greens. He's got an opportunity, which is great, uh, as number two uh, to, to Mark Rudin at Western United. So I'd, I'd like to see the, 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 the pathway opened up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. There's not many MPL coaches that are mentioned in dispatches when an A-League job becomes available. Yeah. Maybe that's changing a little bit. Warren Moon's just you know gone to Brisbane Raw yeah. from the Queensland Lions in, in, in Brisbane, but... Um, yeah, I, th- I think there should be a pathway there. Again, you know, the MPL is our second division. Um, yep. It's it's just that we bizarrely don't see it as that. I don't I don't know why. And when a coaching job becomes available, it seems to be all you know the same names mentioned in dispatches over and over and over again. And if it's not one of them, then it's somebody from overseas, um, which must be pretty dispiriting if you're doing well in the MPL and you never get uh, you never get a chance. So, again, you know, the, I'm sorry to keep harking on about the second division, but yeah. the second division would give that yep. extra exposure and that extra experience Correct. to those coaches. Mm-hmm. That's yep. why uh, one of the many reasons we need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I've just got a couple of real quick ones here which we've had come in. Uh, when when will we see Green Malishi um, doing a gig in Newcastle? Green Manalishi. Manalishi, <laughs> sorry. Manalishi. Uh, get it right. 
Yeah, unfortunately, well, if if somebody wants to invite us up to do a gig, I'll, I'll be, we'd be happy to come up. Um, uh, obviously, it's a bit it's a bit of a schlep, um, so we'd have to hire a van, I guess, to get all the gear up there. But um, I don't, I'm not sure many pubs are doing you know proper gigs at the moment with fans in because of the COVID situation. But we'd be more than happy to come up to Newcastle if, you, so long as you're into your uh, new wave of British oh, heavy metal from the '80s. Yes, uh, <laughs> we're actually playing. Actually playing a gig on the fifth of February, so if you if you fancy coming down south to Sydney to support us, you, you're more than welcome. There you go. <laughs> I tell you what, Josh. I tell you what, Josh. Get on the yep. lorry. If Joey Champions can get a gig out the front of the stadium, I'm sure they, these guys. Can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> Junior generation, to be honest. Uh, and is Iron Maiden. <laughs> oh, yeah, on, man. Bloody um, well, man, I, we'll, hey, we'll we'll look into it. I, I've got a few mates in the. In the bar, sort of friggin' nightclub sort of shit. We'll, we'll, we'll see something. Good. Hey, uh, there. we're happy to come. There we go. No, done deal. I can, I'll, I'll try and sort something out. The other one I've got in here, which uh, I don't know how this question got in here or how he's been able to come in here and ask this question, hey. but nah, uh, I'm just going to read it. And... Here we go. This is a question that's just come in. Was Michael Caine's Viduka Uncovered the best piece of Australian football journalism <laughs> in many a while? Is that signed M. Kane esque <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant, mate. You should have won that, Walkley, but we all know why you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had him on last week. Friggin' he was talking He's about that. Yeah, he got robbed. Hey, <laughs> Kane. Absolutely, friggin' um, yeah, great bit of stuff. Uh, other than that, mate, we are going to end with obviously the other piece of material that you're doing at the moment. The a game of two halves, as we mentioned, I think before. Be sure to yep. go check that out. It is absolutely hilarious. It's good to have a bit of friggin' a bit of a laugh in football, and you do it so well. You so just there, you do it so well, mate. And hopefully, hopefully, friggin' we can get it bigger and on a platform. Hopefully, where everyone can really. Tune in weekly, maybe. Is it the one Watch the space. Watch this space. There it is. What's that, Ben? That's the YouTube link, yeah. Yeah, yeah, down the bottom there, yeah, YouTube link. So we'll whack that in there as well. Be sure to go check that out. There's a few episodes in there. Obviously, you get your you got your current um, you know, a few W League girls in in there and stuff like that. And obviously Jamison's in there as well. And um yeah, it's it's a good laugh. It's a really good laugh. So be sure to is that coming out weekly? Yeah, um, every uh, we record it and it comes out on a. I think it's Thursday or a Friday. I think it's Friday. Yeah, no worries. Well, you're Must roughly getting, roughly every week, guys. So be sure to look out for it. It's um yeah, it's an absolute pisser and a good laugh. So honestly, mate, we thank you very much for jumping on to the podcast. We can't thank Pleasure. you enough. Talk a bit of football yes. and obviously everything else. Hopefully, we see you broadcasting football real soon somewhere. Absolutely. Hate to see you go back and friggin'. Although at the end of the day, there's plenty of people over in England who could lose their job for you. Seriously, there's some <laughs> shit commentators over there. <laughs> I'd be more than happy, actually, to be honest. This just thinking about it, friggin' your Keens and um, Kane. Was it Kane? Yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but we'd love to see you over here, mate. Be sure to go check out that stuff. As we mentioned, guys, in the chat, we'll leave the links. But yeah, thanks very much, mate. And we'll speak to you real soon. Pleasure, guys. Have a good week. Take it easy, mate. Thank you very much. <laughs>